The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Dr. Margot Wutan. She is Director of Nutrition Policy at the Center for Science and the Public Interest based in Washington, D.C., Margo was recently recognized as one of the most innovative women in food and drink by Fortune magazine and for her leadership in public policy by the Harvard School of Public Health. She has led efforts to require calorie labeling in fast food restaurants and trans fat labeling on packaged foods. She has led the effort to improve school foods, reduce junk food marketing aimed at children, and expand nutrition and physical activity programs at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dr. Bhutan co-founded and has led both the National Alliance for Nutrition and Activity and the Food Marketing Workgroup. She is well qualified to do this work. She received her BS in nutrition from Cornell University and her doctorate in nutrition from Harvard University's School of Public Health. Welcome, Dr. Bhutan. So nice to be here. Well, we have some celebrating to do. As of May 2018, there will be required calorie labels on menu items. That goes for fast food restaurants, chain restaurants that are sit-down restaurants, as well as items in the supermarket, ready-to-eat foods. And this is quite an accomplishment. Thanks in large part to you and the efforts of the Center for Science and Public Interest. So thank you. It has been a long road, but it is so gratifying now to walk into these food service establishments and see the calories posted right there where people can see them and use them to make their own decisions about how many calories they really want to eat. Exactly. And when you say a long road, I just want to make sure our listeners understand just how long that road is. 15 years. And I want to know how you as a professional have been able to be so persistent. You know, when people think about 15 years, they might think I've just been working on this. And so what happens in policy is you work on a couple of different things at once, and one is heating up while another is slowing down, and then you move to the next and you go back and forth. And so I have worked on a couple of other things at the same time, but we started menu labeling in 2002 and got our first menu labeling bill introduced in early 2003 in Maine. And so started with a lot of state and local policies to build up momentum and to bring the restaurant industry to the table and eventually pass the national law in 2010. So it's been about eight years since we passed the national law to require menu labeling and then took some years to get through the regulatory process, get all the details worked out, deal with a little more opposition from some different segments of the industry, and then finally get this put into place in May. Well, I think what's so interesting is that you brought the restaurant industry to the table. And I wonder how difficult that was, because clearly, if you're selling an entree or even a muffin that contains close to 1,000 calories, 
the restaurant industry might not want you to know that. You know, pretty much any industry has a knee-jerk reaction to any new law or regulation Mm -hmm. and thinks it's a terrible idea and opposes it. But that's just kind of the norm. And when I would go in and talk to policymakers in the early days of working on menu labeling, when I'd first go in to talk to them, they thought it was a great idea. State legislators, county council members... And then as soon as the restaurant industry came in to talk to them, then they said, oh, no, we can't do this. It's too hard. And and what the restaurant industry did, like many industries do, is cry wolf. And they said that menu labeling would be so expensive, it would hurt their business, they'd have to pass the costs on to consumers, it was too complicated, there were billions of different combinations of bread and meat and toppings on a sandwich, how are they possibly going to do that? And, you know, over time, the truth won out, and we were able to just show that this was common sense, straightforward transparency that consumers wanted. And we first passed a policy in New York City, and then in Seattle, Washington, and then state of California, and all in all, over 20 policies around the country. And eventually, the restaurant industry just decided this was inevitable, better to have one national policy than this hodgepodge of different policies around the country. Right. Well, back in, I guess this was sent out in April, but there was a study that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association that determined that diet is the leading cause of death in the United States and that high body mass index was the fourth leading cause of death. And then in looking at some of the trends that you've brought forth in terms of, well, how much are we eating out now? we see that our eating out occasions have been rising consistently over the years. So knowing how many calories we get at a restaurant seems to me to be critically important at getting at one of the leading causes of death. You know, I think most people know that good nutrition is important in kind of a vague, general way. But I think most people would be really surprised to learn that unhealthy dietary patterns, the way people eat, has a bigger impact on their health than anything else. That poor diet, unhealthy eating habits kill more people than smoking, than anything else that it really has a tremendous, tremendous impact on whether people get heart disease or cancer or diabetes. And I think the magnitude of the problem hasn't really sunken in into most people's consciousness in the way like they know it's a good idea, but don't really think it like kills you, can make you go blind, can give you cancer. And so I think helping people to really understand that the decisions they make at restaurants and grocery stores are really life and death decisions. They are. And it may not be acute, but right. you know, in the long term, it's much more important a health decision than many other things that people fret and think about a lot more. Yeah. You know, I was just going to say, it's not like you eat something and immediately you feel the results. These are cumulative over time. And so just these little tiny increases in calories over, I think you had some statistics in some of your literature here that shows that it's just a 200 calorie per day overload than what we would normally take in that leads to obesity. Yeah, there's so many calories on the menu at restaurants. 
Studies show a typical entree at a sit-down restaurant is over 1,000 calories. Yeah. And that's just the entree. Once you pair that with a couple of side dishes, some bread from the bread basket, a glass of wine or a beer, a dessert, like even just a couple of those things, it's so easy to overeat your whole day's worth of calories in a single sitting in a restaurant without even really feeling like you overate. And if you look at people's diets at home versus at restaurants, they're considerably worse when we eat out. When we eat out, we just eat bigger portions, more saturated fat, more calories, fewer fruits and vegetables. People's diets are just worse. And a lot of that has to do with these gigantic portion sizes, which restaurants are still pushing because their menu looks like it's in the 1970s, right? When we used to eat out just on a special occasion, their menu doesn't reflect the way that people eat out today. It doesn't reflect that now we're getting about a third of our calories from eating out. It's a big part of our diet, and we can't eat in these very extravagant, splurge, like celebratory type of ways that the menus are geared toward. We need just basic, everyday, healthy eating for the way we eat out today. Right. And to put this into perspective, 2,000 calories per day is what we use for general nutrition advice. But I know being a woman, being smaller in stature, being largely sedentary with my work, 2,000 calories a day might be on the high side. So having our listeners keep that 2,000 calories in mind, little less is better, a side order of jalapeno cornbread from Chili's has 690 calories, where a side order of fries has 390. Wow. I've been shocked time and time again as I've been working on restaurant eating for the last 15 years. That things that sound a lot alike, the four cheese pasta versus the Louisiana chicken pasta, they sound the same, but one has 2,300 calories and the other 1,100 calories. So a 1,000 calorie difference between two different pastas that sound the same. And actually, it turns out the four cheese pasta is the lower calorie one than the chicken pasta at the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. And I'll tell you another one that blew me away. I don't know when we got to the point where we thought that just because we were sitting in front of a movie screen, we had to be eating at the same time. I've I've always questioned that. But the large movie theater popcorn from Regal Cinema without the buttery topping has over 1,200 calories. Good grief. I mean, is it any wonder Americans are obese? Well, and think about if people go out to dinner and then to a movie, a thousand calorie tub of popcorn, yeah, a box of candy with four or five hundred calories, another four hundred calories from a soda. This is supposed to be a snack, and you could eat not only your whole day's calories, but maybe half of tomorrow's. Right, exactly. And we're also being sedentary during these activities, and likely getting in the car, going home, and then going to sleep. So it just compounds the problem. I've been looking at how foods are marketed to people for a long time, as you have, and just been fascinated by it. Do you know when it became fashionable to eat while watching a movie in a theater, historically? It's all about profit. So generally, the sales of the movie tickets cover the cost of 
the movie rental from the companies, and then the movie theaters make all their money off the concessions. And so it's selling you food in the movie theater is all about making money. I mean, they could increase the movie ticket prices. They could find other ways to make money, but they've chosen to do it by promoting giant tubs of popcorn. I think the other thing that really has struck me, we know that portion sizes have been getting bigger and bigger, but when you see the calorie numbers, you can see, like, again, looking at movie theater popcorn, do I really need a 1,000-calorie tub of popcorn, or might I be happy with 400 calories worth of popcorn? Like, now, to us, a small popcorn looks really tiny. Right. Because it's compared to these giant buckets of popcorn, but... 400 calories of popcorn could fit into a healthy diet, whereas a 1,000-calorie tub of popcorn, it's just there's really no way to fit that. Right. Who does the calorie counting for these food establishments? Are there certain businesses that have contracts to do this? How do we know that the calories that are printed on the menu boards are right? So we have been sending restaurant foods to labs to have them be tested over the last 25 years, and we generally find that the numbers are correct. The thing that consumers have working in their favor is that there's a lot of competition in the restaurant industry. Mm. And so if McDonald's didn't put accurate calorie counts, then Wendy's and Burger King would notice. Or if Regal was saying that their popcorn only had 200 calories, AMC would notice because they know that theirs has 800. So I think generally the pressure in the marketplace has kept the restaurants really pretty honest. When we do find numbers that are incorrect, oftentimes we'll go to the restaurant, the supermarket, and let them know, and they're grateful for someone having pointed out and found their mistake. Oftentimes it's a typo or they misunderstood the lab results or, you know, there was some reason why they got it wrong and it's one or two outliers out of their menu. And so we generally find that the nutrition information is correct. Now, one thing, you know, you know as a dietitian is that calorie numbers aren't as precise as people might think. You know, there's not a difference between... 1,600 calories and 1,605 calories. Right. You need to round the calories, and you need to think of them as kind of a ballpark number. And so when you're trying to decide between the cafe mocha and the cappuccino, it's pretty obvious when one has 400 calories and one has 80 calories what the difference is. If you're trying to decide between two things that have, you know, 80 calories or 85 calories or, you know, 90 calories that's probably not as big of a deal. Right, exactly. And I believe from my work years ago that the FDA does allow a fudge factor. It doesn't have to be right on the money. There is an allowance for a few calories lower and higher. Yeah, as long as the restaurant or supermarket has a reasonable basis for their determination, then the FDA is going to consider the menu labeling to be accurate. And groups like ours will be out there testing products and keeping an eye on what restaurants and supermarkets are doing. And I think I'm not as concerned about the nutrition information being accurate because that we can fix. I think it's really a matter of just getting it on the menu so 
so that people can see how different options stack up and make their own decisions about how many calories to eat. Right. And the take-home message is for the consumer that the numbers that you see on those menu boards are indeed pretty darn close. So you can trust them and use them as a tool to choose the healthier meal. Yeah. I think, you know, there have been some gotcha kind of stories out in the press. And generally those have been a reporter goes out and buys one entree, sends it to a lab, and it's not exactly right. And that's not the way to think about this. You know, they should go out and buy 10 different ones and take the average and see if the ballpark number is correct. Exactly. Well, let me take one break. Remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Dr. Margot Wutan. She is the Director of Nutrition Policy for the Center for Science and the Public Interest based in Washington, D.C., and we are celebrating menu labeling. We certainly have waited a long time, 15 years, for national menu labeling. And in the conversation of personal responsibility, I think this is a perfect opportunity for consumers to be able to fully understand and have the data at their fingertips to make a wise choice in the marketplace. Now, Dr. Wutan, I do want to just bring up a few other menu items because I'm sure, as you mentioned earlier, you had aha moments. And I know that when I was preparing for this interview, I was just perusing the different data. And I have been with people who were off to a meeting, we're just going to stop, we're going to get a cup of coffee and say a muffin. How damaging could that be? And sure enough, I found a chocolate chip muffin with 920 calories. So to your point of having this 2000 calorie limit, and knowing that you're getting close to half of that in a muffin that isn't even going to be that satisfying. Two hours later, we're going to be hungry again. I think that having these menu labels are one of the biggest steps that we can take to improve public health. I think it's going to help a lot. Nowadays, we're just eating out more and more. And cooking at home from scratch is terrific. And when people have time to do that, it is an ideal way to eat. But For many of us, it's just not practical that we're busy, we have other things going on in our lives, or we go out for entertainment, you're traveling for work, and eating out has really become a big part of our diet. And so to be able to make more informed choices and to cut calories, this is actually one of the easiest ways to cut the most calories from your diet because the portion sizes are so big. And there is a lot of variation between menu items. And so take a look at the menu or the menu board or look at the items on the salad bar a little more closely or the buffet line or the the soda dispenser where there'll be information posted. And just see if you can find something that you will like just as much but where you can cut a few hundred calories, those can really add up and make a difference to Mm -hmm. people's ability to watch their weight. You also have some information showing that this year there was a review of nearly 30 studies from the Cochrane Collaboration that found that menu labeling helps people reduce their calories by about 50 calories per meal on average. And then you've got other studies showing that, yeah, King County, Washington found a significant decrease in calories, 41 calories, in entree items at 37 different chain restaurants after implementing menu labeling. 
So if there are any skeptics, and we hope there are skeptics, but if there are any naysayers about the benefits of menu labeling, we've got the data to show that it works. There have been a number of small studies that were not the best in terms of their design that have called into question whether or not menu labeling works. And of course, the press love those headlines to say like, you think menu labeling will help you make better choices, but studies show it doesn't. And so those small, not so well-done studies have gotten a lot of publicity. But if you look at the very best studies, the bigger studies that have enough statistical power to pick up an effect, as the Cochrane collaboration did, you find a good effect of menu labeling. 50 calories from a no-cost public health intervention is really quite significant. And it's not going to cure obesity. We still have other things we need to do to support healthy eating in our communities. But it's a good start. And then on top of that, as you mentioned, menu labeling doesn't only change consumer behavior, but it also changes restaurants' behavior. And restaurants have been reformulating their products to take some of the calories out. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I'm sure nobody wants to have their calories for an entree item be so much more, maybe than a competitor's, or just to shock their consumer into saying, you know what, let's choose a different restaurant next time. This stuff has way too many calories to be healthy. And even, you know, a lot of people think once they've chosen to go to a certain restaurant that they have no chance of eating well, right? People think, oh, I'm going to McDonald's, so it's just going to be awful, so I'm just going to get whatever I want, or I'm going to... TGI Fridays or Chili's, but there are always a range of options. Even at McDonald's, you know, you can choose between a large fry and a small fry. And just take a moment to think about, like, could I be satisfied with a small fry? Or even going to a medium fry can shave off enough calories to make a difference. Their hamburgers range from 250 calories to upwards of over 700 calories. And so, you really need a 700-calorie burger, or might the 400-calorie burger be satisfying enough? And so in the past, nutrition has really not been a part of the thinking. It hasn't really been part of the culture of eating out in the U.S., either for consumers or for restaurants. And menu labeling is a first step toward bringing nutrition into the restaurant setting and helping consumers to make decisions, but also helping restaurants to make some different decisions as well. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to know a little bit about the particulars about the menu items and the calories, because I noticed you've got a great website, and I want to let our listeners know that's www.menulabeling.org, and you can see some of the comparisons there, and you can be shocked as well as we were. But I want to know about the print Is it required that the print be a certain size? I know some of the calorie listings looked a little bit larger. Some of it looked a little fainter. Are there specifications that say your lettering has to be a certain font and it can't be so faint that a person can't see it? So there are guidelines about how the calories need to be posted. They need to be as prominent as either the name of the item or the price both in terms of size and contrast. I think there are a few restaurants that need to fix their menus. They're Mm -hmm. not quite in compliance, and so we are seeing some calories that are 
smaller, fainter, not as prominent as they need to be. And so we'll work with restaurants over the next year to try to help get them to change their menus. But the calories should be as prominent as either the price or as the name of the item. Okay, that's good to know because I can see that that might be a problem area. But just to let our listeners know, this is going to be in chain restaurants, supermarkets, convenience stores, fast food restaurants, movie theaters, and then there will also be additional information upon request. So let's say you've got an issue with sodium or fat. You can ask your wait staff for that information, and that will have to be provided as well, correct? Yeah, so... I think this is going to be terrific for those people who have diabetes and need to count carbohydrates, high blood pressure, and or just are generally watching their sodium intake, saturated fat, and heart disease. So how that information is provided in writing will differ a little bit restaurant to restaurant. It could be on a poster, a pamphlet, a kiosk, but it needs to be in writing and something that they can hand to the customer or point the customer to so that they'll have any of the nutrition information that's on packaged foods on nutrition facts labels, they'll be able to get in a restaurant as well. That is so important, especially with what we know about sodium and how high sodium levels can be in processed food and food in restaurants as well. So thank you for all of this. I think it's going to be really helpful. Melinda, when we were just trying to decide what to ask restaurants to put on the menu, I really did play around with formatting a lot of different menus to see how they would look with additional nutrition information, and especially on menu boards, but even on printed menus, it just got to be too cluttered, too overwhelming, confusing to have the full range of nutrition information available. So we decided to go with calories since obesity is such a big problem. And then two, calories are a good proxy for portion size. And a lot of times if the portion's bigger, the sodium, the saturated fat is higher too. I mean, that's not always the case, but good rule of thumb. So we went with this one really important piece of information, but then made sure that the rest of the information is available to those people who want it. All right. That's wonderful. You have been a terrific guest as always, and I am so glad to know that this has happened. Thank you so much for all of your efforts. Is there a a closing message or a charge that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I think a lot of times these public health changes happen and they seem to just have magically occurred. Like the FDA just came up with this idea or the restaurants just decided to do it. And and I would just encourage your listeners to get involved and to support these kinds of policies before they even go into effect. So right now we're trying to urge supermarkets to have healthier items, especially at the checkout. We're trying to get junk food off of kids' menus, that we really need people's help. If they could go to cfpinet.org and join our email action network, an occasional email to a company, a tweet at a company, a letter to the FDA could help us so much to make other changes like menu labeling that just make it easier for us all to eat better. Thank you so much for that. I think that CSPI is one of the best sources for helping people become better consumers, certainly educated, and also your action steps are terrific. 
We must close. I, in doing so, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Margot Wutan, Director of Nutrition Policy at the Center for Science and the Public Interest. Thank you so much for all of the years of work in getting this done. Thank you. It was great to be here with you today. Thank you.